I'll bring you just a second. You with me? Kind of ruins the moment, doesn't it? I'm going to bring you good news anyway. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's why we're here today. For unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. And here's our sermon for the morning. This shall be a sign unto you. Do you ever wonder what that sign, why that was so significant? You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Do you ever wonder why that's such a sign? Well, this morning, I hope when you leave, you'll say, I understand that better. I found something new this week, new to me anyway. It's been around since the days of Micah, but I'm about to pop to tell it. So if y'all will bear with me, I'm going to get through the introductory part, and then we're just going to have fun. Is that good? God bless you. Today, while we're here celebrating Christmas, what a wonderful presentation by music today. And last Sunday evening, we were so blessed. Thank you, choir, and all you musical folks, and you tech team for reminding me when I'm on and when I'm not. Thank you for your nudging. I appreciate that. Today, while we're here, we sure have a lot of folks around the world that are hurting. I'm assuming you're reading in the news, China is doing a new crackdown on all Christians. Two weeks ago, a church had been closed by police. They were, had, had the street blocked off, and 60 Chinese Christians met in a grassy spot across the street. They were arrested. 60 of them had been put in prison, and their pastor hadn't been heard from in two weeks. In Myanmar, they're destroying churches and killing Christians. In India, there are places where there's a major crackdown today. In fact, today when you go to India, they forbid you to do missionary work. When we go, we train existing Christian leaders. But if you're an outsider, you're not allowed to do evangelism. Imagine that in India. So while we're here and we think everything's rosy, I don't know if you're reading the news, but we're not the most popular group in America. And the truth is, while we sing about the birth of a king in troublesome times, we need that same king to renew our hearts and fill our lives and expand our vision and give us a burden in these last days that all who need to know him will come not to a manger, but come to the master who's the ruler of the universe so every knee can bow before him. Would you pray with me with that kind of expectation? We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Father... We surely are grateful for all the good blessings of God. We don't thank you as we ought, not because we're ungrateful. We're like spoiled children. We've got so many toys and boxes. We, we don't even know where to begin to say thank you. We've been blessed with more than, more than we need to eat, more clothes than we can wear, nicer cars than anybody in the rest of the world, mostly. We have fresh water and don't even think about it, clean air, and we don't think about that. We have medical care that's very readily available and most of the world does good to get even some type of poultice or, a, or an herb to help them. Father, today we come to you because we've been saved. What a privilege. Of all, the, of all the earth, you called us out to yourself. You gave us the power to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, changed forever, and made new in the image of your Son. We don't take that lightly, but then sometimes we don't take it seriously. I pray today you'll drive home the point anew that this Jesus born of a virgin named Mary was not just a cute baby that grew up with a wonderful life story. He's the mighty king, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So I pray today as we gather before you, we'll be mindful of who it is we're talking to, who it is we're studying, and who it is we're about to see come again. 
not in the stall of a, of, of a stable, but come as the ruling king of the, of the whole world. I pray this Christmas we'll look back with joy and forward with expectancy for the coming of the king. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to Luke 2, and then if you don't know where Micah is, you can find that in your book of contents. It's the Old Testament. I'll give you a hint. But we're going to be in Micah in two verses, and mostly in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, you remember the story of Jesus' birth, and sometimes when we come to this time of the year, we, we have questions. And i got to confess, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, and I've, I've always wondered why in the world didn't God make reservations for his son? You and I travel, we're going to make reservations hotel if we're traveling. You'd think that God Almighty, if his son's coming to the world, he'd make some kind of hotel reservation. But then we've read the story, not from the Middle Eastern standpoint, but from the Western standpoint the Western civilization point of view. So when we heard there was no room in the inn, we pictured a Holiday Inn or a Hampton Inn and everything was filled. And they said, now there's some barns out back if you want to go there. And that's been our Christmas nativity scene for years. And you know the scene. You got two wise men, you got three wise men and a couple of shepherds, at least two mandatory sheep and maybe a a cow and maybe a goat or a camel, something else. And that's totally false. Because truthfully, in the days of Jesus, it was not a wooden stable. Wood was precious. If it, whatever they built, that's why we still have ruins of their civilization. They used stone. And we found mangers dating from biblical era, and they're made out of stone. They're normally about that big and about that wide, and they're hewn out so that you can put food in them for an animal. Many times, if the, if the ground was stony and that wasn't unusual, they'd just do it in the earth. They'd hew out a stone and put, put straw or, or corn or feed in there, and that's where the animals would eat. But when we think manger, we think that ever-popular crossed wooden piece that holds up a little baby bed and put a little straw in it, and we say, well, that's it. Well, no, that's not it. That's, that's Americanized, not Israelized. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of understand that just as when you as you ladies, when you were young and going to have babies, you determined ahead of time, who's my doctor? Uh, Which hospital are we going to use? Do do we have any kind of coverage or do we save money to pay for this baby when that birth birth comes? Uh, Where where are we going to go as soon as the baby's born? Do we go back to our house? We're going to mama's house? Where is mama going to come with us? I mean, you make all those details for your baby. So I want to go back, and we're going to read Luke chapter 2 and then look at Micah. When you leave today, I believe you'll say, to God be the glory. What we've read in Western eyes, we're going to study with Middle Eastern views and come back away and say, wow, he did make provision. We just walked over it and didn't see it. This morning, look with me in Luke chapter 2. It's a great Christmas story. You know it well. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be taxed or registered. Now, remember, you registered people to know who, how many there are, the father, the patriarch, what was your lineage, who's your father. And so they trace all that together. With Jews, that was extremely important. So they moved. I've always found it interesting. God moved the whole country of Israel to get one couple to Bethlehem. You'll think about that lunch and it'll move you too. But anyway, look, the Bible says a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire would be registered. And this, first, this registration took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to be registered, each to his own hometown. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David. Don't miss this. Went to the city of David called Bethlehem. Because he was the house and lineage or family line of David to be registered along with Mary, 
who he was betrothed or engaged to to be married, and when she uh, and she was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him, and Holman says snugly in cloths. It swaddled him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger or feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn or lodging place or cataluma means the guest room. The shepherds in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields. They were keeping watch at night over their flock. An angel of the Lord stood before them. Remember, it's pitch black. It's dark. You're out there in the middle of the night, done this all your life. It's dark every night. There's no lights, nobody coming. Nobody going to bother you unless they're thieves and they sure don't bring lights. And suddenly the heavens open and here's this angelic being whose face is like lightning, white raiment that glows in the dark. I mean, would brighten up any football stadium. And the first thing out of his mouth when those shepherds see this angelic messenger, first thing he says is fear not. Why? They were catatonic. If you were out in the middle of the night and suddenly a being showed up with you to, before you as totally bright light, do you think your knees might knock a little bit and your jaws, cut, your, your lips kind of quiver? The Bible says here's this angel suddenly in the darkness shows up and says, don't be afraid. Look, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Verse 11, a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign. Now, this is where we're going to look. This will be a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Now, if you'll look down at the very bottom, verse 20, after they'd been to see the baby Jesus, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. And this is the phrase so often we just kind of pass on over, but it was just as they had been told. For years I've wrestled with the Christmas story at this point because I always wondered why in the world was there no room? Why in the world was it stated that there was no room? And why in the world did they have to go out to a stable? Well, Boy, we've preached marvelous messages on no room in the end. We've preached about that mean innkeeper. We've talked about those people sleeping in the luxury of a hotel while Jesus went hurting. Well, today, I, I hope I can shed a little light because I'm telling you, I, I found something and I want to share it with you. I can't, obviously, none of us were there, but I think it sure makes a lot of sense. Why Bethlehem? First of all, that one's pretty clear. It's a small village, as you know, about six miles from Jerusalem. Many of the notables of history had been there. If you remember, in Genesis 35 and Genesis 48, Rachel, Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob, Rachel, you remember, when she got there, she, she, it was determined that she was uh, going to give birth to her last son. And boy, she had a hard labor and difficult time. And when he came in the world... You remember what did she named her son? Ben-Ani, O-N-I. Ben-Ani, which means son of my sorrow or child of my sorrow. But Jacob, and you know she died in childbirth and she's buried there. It says in Genesis 35 in Ephrat or Ephratah near Bethlehem. And when, when her husband Jacob saw the boy, he said, I don't want to go through life with a son named son of my sorrow. That'd be a heavy burden on him. And so he changed his name from Benani to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now think about that. In the patriarch of Israel, there's a last son born, a last child born, who's going to be a man of sorrows and a man of my right hand, my strength. Huh. 
And then if you remember, Naomi was from there. And if you remember, Naomi likewise was a lady who was from Bethlehem, but she had a great sorrow. She had great joy when Elimelech was her husband. They had two boys, if you remember, Malan and Killian, and they married, if you remember, Orpah and Ruth. And things were going lovely until her husband died and both sons died. And, and then suddenly her joy and their joy was turned to sorrow because every man in their family was dead. And the Bible says when she went back, the women of the city said, is that Naomi? She'd been gone a while. And you know, when you hadn't seen somebody, why you say, is that, is that in that Naomi? And the minute she, they'd say that, she'd say, don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. She said, call me Mara which means bitter. Again, a reference to somebody who's pleasant and yet going to experience great bitterness. Bethlehem also was known as the city of David. He was born there. He was one of eight sons of Jesse. It was, Je- it was David who was a shepherd, and he shepherded in the fields around, uh, around Bethlehem, which means he very likely was in the very place that the angel appeared to those shepherds that were shepherding many years after David because it said that, that in the city of David would be born a Savior, Christ the Lord. And David, we know, was a man of great joy. He could play music to soothe Saul. He could do great things in battle. He was a man of great celebration, but he was a man of great sorrow when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband. Now we have three pictures of one who's gonna be joyful and sorrowful, one who brings hope and one who grows through great difficulty. Three times, we see it in Rachel, we see it in Naomi, and we see it in, in David. And then if you're like me, you've read all those things from Micah. In fact, I wanna ask you to turn, if you would, to Micah chapter five and keep your finger there because we we'll look at chapter four in just a minute. Micah chapter 5 is the prophecy of the prophet Micah that says a child is going to be born in Bethlehem Ephrata. And many times we've read that and not got a clue what that is. Well, Ephrata was the region of the area around Bethlehem. Now, Micah 5.2 is, is the prophecy. Here's what it says. Micah 5.2, you Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, one of you will come for me, uh, 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 one of you will come for me, uh, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. Now, look, he's going to be a ruler over Israel, somebody born in Bethlehem, ruler over Israel, origins are from of old. When your mama's gave you birth did you say this boy has been around since the ancient days I don't think so and then the prophecy said he was around from ancient times that could only refer to God because each of us were only around at the moment of our conception that's as far back as we can go and from there forward we can go forward but we can't go further back but said this one is going to be from ancient days Ephrata I, I did I, I, I found something new in the name Ephrat was a woman. Now, I wouldn't recommend you name your daughter Ephrat. I'm just saying. That, that's, that may have been popular then. I looked on every list. It's not in the top 20 on any list. Ephrat. But Ephrat is a beautiful name. You know who Ephrat was? The mother of her. You remember her? H-U-R. When Moses was praying and Joshua was fighting the Midianites, you remember? There was a problem because... Moses' arms would get weary from praying and holding up the rod of God. And his, when his arms would go down, Joshua and Israel lose. But as long as his arms were up in prayer, Israel won. And the Bible says came, two men came alongside him. You remember one was named Aaron and the other was named, very good, Her. You know who Ephrat was? The mother of Her. her. 
And do you know who her grandson was? An old man named Caleb. You remember Caleb when, when time came to go in and conquer a new land? He said, excuse me, may, may I be excused? I, 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 I want to go over back to where I, where I feel comfortable. And there's a place there. It says my strength is still, he's 80 years old. It said my strength is still like that of a youth. I want to go back and I want to claim my land. But you remember Caleb? He was one of the spies who said we can take this land of promise because God gave it to us. The home of Bethlehem, Ephrat, was the, Bethlehem's the name House of Bread. It's the city of David, city of Rachel and Jacob. It's the city of Caleb who said, give me this land. But then when we say it's the House of Bread, what does that mean? It was Jesus who was tempted, first of all, to break bread. First temptation, you remember, Satan said it worked on Adam. Food worked on Adam. Let's try a food temptation on this new Adam. And he came and offered him bread, you remember? And the Bible said, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. So grateful he didn't break bread with Satan. We wouldn't have had a savior because he would bend his knee to the enemy. But the Bible says if Jesus not only born in the house of bread, he said, I am the bread of life. It was Jesus who, who said, I, 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 I want to give you my body. This bread is my body offered for you. The one who was born in the house of bread was the one who was ready to give bread for those who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He is the hidden manna spoken of in scripture. He's the one ready to give life to those who are famished from eating the junk food of the world. The Bible says Bethlehem Ephrata is the place. Well, secondly, we know that it was in the fields where shepherds were. Now, I'm not going to take a great deal of time to talk about shepherds, but shepherds are an interesting study simply because they were so much a part of history. You understand one of the first professions was shepherding. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel? Cain, it says, kept, uh, tended the soil. It says Cain tended the soil, but Abel kept the sheep. Pardon me? As early as Adam and Eve, there was just outside the garden when they were cast out opportunities for tending the soil that they'd said, God said, you're going to have thorns and thistles and sorrow and bleeding and sweat of your brow. But there was also a man who raised and tended sheep. His name was Abel. You remember when it came time for offering God worship? Remember Cain said, I'll just give what I got. It doesn't matter. God's, God will take whatever. It doesn't matter. That's what Baptists say. It doesn't matter. We, we can do what we want to. I don't have to. That, that's, that's old law. I don't do that. You know. You might not rethink that. Because the Bible says when, 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 Abel, when Cain brought his offering of fruits and vegetables, God said, I don't accept your offering. Because the redemption of man is not by the shedding of sap. But when Abel brought of the flock and killed a lamb, his worship was accepted and it made Cain so mad he killed his brother. The great men of history were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses and David, all shepherds. In the time of scripture, you could measure a man's wealth by how much acreage he had and how many cattle or camels or sheep he had. For instance, Job, it says was the wealthiest man in his day in Job 1.3. says he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And they were all killed along with 10 children. 
And the end of the book, you remember, God gave him back not what he had, but gave him more. And the end of the book, it says that he was given 14,000 sheep. And people said, wow. You always measured wealth by the number of sheep. Now, to have that many sheep, you better have a, some good shepherds because 14,000 takes some doing and organizing. Shepherds back then were not, can I just say, they, they weren't popular and they weren't respected for several reasons. First of all, they always lived outside and they always lived around animals. And when you do that, you're never coming in for a bath and you never think about it because over a while your nose, your, your nose dies and you don't smell anything. But the bad thing is if you've always lived out around sheep and you sleep on the ground and you eat, eat, eat outside and then you work in the heat of the sun and you get hot and sweaty, well, before long, people can smell you coming before you get there. I mean, it's just awful. So shepherds were considered dirty. Secondly, because they were always outside with animals, they could not fulfill the requirements legally to be a, 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 a holy Jew or an acceptable or, or orthodox Jew. They couldn't make the holy days. Why? I got sheep. Some of you grew up on a dairy farm, and I've heard you say, I, we didn't get vacations because cows going to give morning and evening every day regardless. You, you don't just say, I'm going to take two weeks off. And so shepherds couldn't just leave the flock. That means they couldn't go to the holy days. They couldn't go to Passover. They couldn't do all those things that most people do because they were tending the flocks. Shepherds wore sheep. They literally lived off their sheep. And so shepherds would take a sheepskin or, 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 or either turn the wool under or turn it this way with fleece underneath and they'd wear that it's like a mantle they cut a hole for their head they remained sleeveless so they could either defend if they needed to or pick up a sheep they didn't want their arms encumbered and then they'd take a large leather belt and it had to be heavy duty if you can imagine a sheepskin and they'd tie that baby off so it kept the kept the clothing close to their body and yet gave them full mobility at night, they'd take that off, and they literally, in, in cool nights, they'd literally curl up in a fetal position underneath that, that outside mantle of sheepskin. It's what would keep the night air away and allow them to sleep if they weren't on duty watching the flock. This belt that they wore was for a purpose. It not only held them together, but it also carried, many times, if they did not have an extra leather strap, they'd tie the bag to the belt, and the bag was a, a goat. They cut off its head, and they kept the body intact, and then they just tied the legs together so that this goat skin provided everything for them to carry their food or their sling or their stones that they were going to throw it to uh, use the sling to fight with. Whatever they needed, they carried in a goat skin, and they either had a leather strap or they'd affix it to their belt, and it's right there handy. When they needed it, they could get what they needed. They wore the belt for the purpose also of, uh, of giving them some degree of, of strength around their midsection, and we know that sheep, shepherds also not only had a belt, but they had a sling. The, the sling would tell you they'd take goat hair and they'd weave that together to make the string part. And then they'd take a little patch of sheepskin or something to make the pouch part. And by day, they'd use this for sport. In crisis, they'd use it as a weapon. Did you ever wonder, how, how did... How did David know how far he could, how, how far away or how close he needed to be to Goliath to put in a final blow in one stone? And how did he know how big a stone to use? And how did he know the stone wouldn't curve or, or roll? Sometimes when you're skipping a stone of water, it'll do a dipsy doodle if it's too flat. How did he know? Because by day, if you've got guys in the field today and they don't have a lot to do, they're just out there waiting on something, if there's, a, if there's a body water, they'll all be out there pitching rocks in the water just, 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 for, just for enjoyment. 
Some of you say, Pastor, the most terrible thing and the best thing that ever happened to me was when this tragedy hit. I'd been a pretty nominal Christian. I was prone to wander from the shepherd, but when that tragedy hit, he drew me close and kept me so close. I got to tell you, my fellowship with him has been sweeter than it ever was before since that. Shepherd had a sling and a staff. He had a rod, and he had the ability to carry a wayward sheep. He also would keep with him a flute or a pipe. David may have had a, some type of stringed instruments because he often talks about the harp. But he'd play, they'd play the pipe primarily in the evening, sometimes in the daytime if, they, if the sheep were grazing pretty calm. It did two things. First of all, the sound of a pipe would cause the sheep to recognize the sound of their shepherd's pipe and it kept them close. Secondly, the sound of a pipe, if you hear a flute, it's not, a, it's not an instrument of terror. It's an instrument that's soothing. So these sheep out there, if they're hearing a soft sound, it keeps them calm. And then if you're playing a pipe, it also allows you to entertain yourself on those long, long days and nights. Remember, they were out there. They lived in those fields. They didn't stay till 5 and go home. Home was right where those sheep were. Well, you'd need some entertainment too. And then they always had a good sheepdog. You and I both have seen shepherds today, and they have a good sheepdog for this reason, because that sheepdog can keep those flocks moving where you need them, and they can chase those wayward sheep back in quicker than a shepherd can get there. But they also help you if you have a predator. A dog will turn on that predator alongside the shepherd and keep him at bay until the shepherd can deal with the predator in death. They were watchful. They had to provide water and grass for their flocks, and they competed with other shepherds for the available grass and water. Even in the rich areas, there were times of the year that, that grass and water was not always plenteous, and there were lots of herds, and so you had to watch to make sure that you could get what you needed and be there at a time the other shepherds weren't there and not have to go to battle over who's going to drink the water. They were watchful against thieves, and they were watchful against predators, and they were watchful for diseases. When a new, newborn lamb was born, it was very fragile. And so a shepherd, because he was a tender shepherd, he'd take that lamb and he'd put it in the bosom of his cloak above that leather belt. And there the, the lamb was secure. He felt safe. He's right against the, the chest of the shepherd. And as the shepherd walked, he wasn't going to fall because that belt provided the support beneath. And, and, the, and the way that mantle was wrapped, he knew he wasn't going to come out because it, it was secure. And, and, and so that little sheep developed an affinity for the shepherd from the beginning. Have you noticed a newborn baby? How quickly they know who mama is. No wonder for nine months that baby was right here. And once they're born, it's that mama who's up feeding that baby. It's that mama who's changing that baby. That mama who's talking baby talk to that baby and bathing that baby and feeding that baby and making sure that baby is okay. Even a baby lamb would come to know the shepherd because in those first days, the shepherd would carry the sheep. The Bible says sheep of, the shepherd's sheep know him. They know his voice and he calls them by name. Do you ever wonder what that means? A good shepherd in the evening would take a, a, a spot between maybe a rock and, and, and himself. And the other shepherds, along with the sheepdog, would gradually move those sheep through a very narrow, where have I heard that? Narrow is the way and 
Straight is the gate that leads to life. A good shepherd would take the flock and they'd move them through a narrow passage and the shepherd would use that shepherd's staff and he'd put it on the rock low enough that the sheep had to stop for a minute and he'd check and say, is that one mine? That one mine? And then he'd look to see, did he get cut today? Is he bleeding? Does he have any place on his legs or on his chest? Or did something get him while I wasn't looking? So he's making sure he's safe and healthy and not cut, not blemished. And once the sheep was demonstrated, manifested to be his own, you know what he'd do? He'd lift the staff and say, enter. Enter. One of these days, I'm going around the corner of the master shepherd. <laughs> and the Bible says when I come through that narrow passage... He can say, I see you without spot or blemish, child of God, welcome home. A shepherd also, a shepherd also was the one who watched each evening to make sure the sheep were safe all through the night. You know what? We're called the sheep of his pasture. Do you know what the Latin word for shepherd is? Pastor. I like that. The number one assignment I have is to care for the flock of God assigned to me. What an awesome challenge. What a great privilege. Well, may I tell you who these shepherds were? I told you Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. This last time we didn't go there and it's because the pastor didn't specifically say I want to go there. We didn't, but Last time we went to the shepherd's fields, and you see those rolling fields where those shepherds would take their sheep to graze, where David likely, with the flocks of Jesse, was right out there tending sheep. Uh, you see, shepherds out there in Bethlehem weren't just keeping sheep for themselves. They had a specific purpose. They were assigned by rabbis to raise the sheep that as soon as they were old enough, the female sheep would be slaughtered for peace offerings. The male sheep would be slaughtered for sin offerings and at Passover. Can you imagine how many sheep it'd take, how many shepherds it'd take, how many, how many flocks of sheep it'd take to satisfy the blood demand of the temple of God? We're Gentiles, so we don't think about it. But each day in Jerusalem, in the morning to start the day, a lamb would be slaughtered and its blood sprinkled on the altar to demonstrate the start of the day. We offer to you the blood sacrifice of a lamb, both to cover our sins and allow us to enter in your presence because blood covers the sins of, uh, uh, of the one asking. And each evening to wrap up the day, they'd slaughter another lamb for the same purpose. So that means if you didn't have any holy days, no sin offerings, if you just did temple operations, you'd need 730 lambs a year just for the morning and evening sacrifice. But that was just the small drop in the bucket. Because all through the year, men would be in Jerusalem and they'd say, I've sinned. You know the word blameless doesn't mean sinless. It means I've sinned and I've got to get this right. I can't stand myself for what I've done. I need to offer to God a sin offering. And so they'd bring a precious lamb. 
At Passover, I've told you this, a, 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 a few years after the, 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 the days of Jesus, a census was taken to figure out how many people were in, in, in Jerusalem at the Passover because here's what they knew. There would be one lamb slaughtered for every 10. That year, just between uh, the birth of Jesus and 70 AD at the destruction of the temple, that year when the census was taken, 200,000 lambs were slaughtered on one Passover season. How many shepherds would you have to have to have 200,000 lambs available in the fields to be offered for no other reason than a blood sacrifice? And when they cut that many throats, the blood flowed freely down, as I've told you before, down from the very place where Abraham offered Isaac. That flowed down from that rock through a passage, through a pipe, through a, a trough, down to the Kidron Brook. And the, the clear little Kidron brook would turn bloody red and swell with the blood of lambs. When Christ left the eastern gate of the temple to go to Gethsemane, he had to walk across the blood of lambs slain. And in the morning at 9 o'clock, he would be the lamb slain. Wow. Well, I, I, I want to ask you something. What in the world does that mean when the angel said, you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger? Now, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I'm Alabama, Tennessee all the way. I grew up in Southeast America. I don't think like a Middle Eastern. I've never been Jewish. So that meant nothing to me. And I, I've been to church long enough. I know what that means. An angel shows up over here. And here's little Mary and Joseph. And, and, and they have a baby in a wooden stable with a wooden manger. And it, suddenly the shepherd's here. There's a baby somewhere over in that town that was born. And if you'll go out to all the barns in town, you'll find one wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they found him. And, and that's how we do it. But that's, that's probably not what happened. And so here's the good part. If you've been asleep, wake up. This is the good part. Here we go. In Micah chapter 4, you still got your Bible open? Michael chapter 4, verse 8. Look with me quickly. Michael, Micah chapter 4, verse 8. Look what this says. Micah 4, 8. As for you, watchtower of the flock. Don't forget that. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter Zion, of, Zion, of daughter Zion, the the former dominion will be restored, meaning you're going to be a great nation. Kingship will come to daughter Zion. Now, what in the world does that mean? As for you, watchtower of the flock. Do you know what the word is? You may want to write this down. In Hebrews, two words. Here it is. M-I-G-D-A-L, Migdal, M-I-G-D-A-L, Ader, E-D-E-R, Migdal, Ader, Migdal, Ader, E-D-E-R. It means and translated tower of the flock. I found a new study this year that I'd not seen before through reading an old book my daddy gave me years ago, and I'm finally getting around to time to read some of them. This one was written by Alfred Eidersheim, Eidersheim a, a converted Jew and scholar. In 1899, he wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And he gives credit to breathe. He's the one who gets credit for breathing new life into a passage in Micah that finally answers a lot of those questions preachers and concerned laymen have had for many years. First of all, 
it establishes that there's a place called Migdal Eder. It's mentioned in Genesis 35, by the way, as a place where Rachel, Rachel died and she gave birth to Benjamin. Migdal Eder is a place mentioned where Rachel died and gave birth to, gave birth, uh, to Benjamin. Micah 4 establishes the expectation of a godly king that's linked to that place, Migdal Eder, Tower of the Flock. According to Jewish writings, the shepherds of Bethlehem would tend the sheep for the temple sacrifices. Now, this is the part that I never thought about. You know how particular Jews are about making sure everything is proper according to the rabbinical writings and to the law. It states in the Mishnah that there's to be a place for these sheep to be born so that it will be ceremonially clean. So, so if the temple lambs had to be born in a place that was ceremonially clean near Bethlehem, Joseph knew about Bethlehem as his hometown and the place of his family. He would have known of a place for the birthing of sacrificial lambs in and near the place of Bethlehem. It would have been a clean place, a, 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 a ceremonial a, a, a purified place for the birthing of the lambs for the temple and, and, and history says in the Jewish writings, they would tend the sheep for the sacrifices. And when a lamb met the sacrifices for the Passover sacrifice, the shepherd at birth would wrap the lamb in swaddling cloths for two reasons. If the night was cool, it provided additional warmth. But because the lamb had to be without spot or blemish, one of the greatest risks, and again, you're on, st you're on stone. The, 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 the area of the fields many times is rocky. There's places where it's uneven. And, and if a lamb's going to hurt himself, that newborn lamb, as you know, they're wild and they just kick and run. And, and are like, wild. the best way to calm them down is to wrap them in cloths and put them in a manger so that they're isolated and up high enough that they can't move. And you can watch them because they're right here. So, did you ever wonder, how did they know where to go instantly when said, here's the sign. You're going to find a precious little lamb that's been born tonight, wrapped in cloths to swaddle him, and you're going to find him in a feeding trough. Hmm. The same Mishnah tells us these flocks were outside in the fields year-round. Now, now, many times we said, no, they were only in the fields in, in the spring. But the truth is, because you needed so many, these flocks were out in the field all the time and making sure because the flocks were so big, you had to make sure that they were okay. But you, we know that from reading the accounts in the Passover, they were in the fields as early as February. That's the heaviest month of rain in Israel. So, so, so if, if these lambs are out there on their own, somebody better be taking a real cl close eye of those lambs because when's the time that a, that a lamb or a ewe lamb is most vulnerable to a track of a predator? A ewe is most vulnerable when she's about to give birth because she can't move quickly. And when that new baby is born, it's very susceptible because it's the weakest in the flock and it makes it ready for a predator's attack. So, so, so what is Migdal Eater? In ancient times, there was a tower there, a, a, a tower, military establishment there to keep watch over the areas leading up to Jerusalem. 
And at Migdal Eater, there was, there, there, there's a picture today of what one would look like. It, it, has a, it has a rock. Everything was rock. They built it out of rock, not unusually large, maybe 25 feet, 30 feet up. And you'd be able to go up to look out. But at the bottom would be a place for you to keep your animal and perhaps your bedding. And it would be a place that could be kept somewhat clean when the shepherds needed a birthing place, they needed a place that was safe, protected, ceremonial clean, and had easy access to get in from the fields with the ewe lambs about to give birth. And the minute that lamb was born, they had everything they needed from mangers to put the newborns, mangers for eating. And by the way, where did Joseph get those cloths? Well, if he was born, Jesus was born in the Tower of Migdal, suddenly now there's a room, ceremonially clean. There's a place for a lamb to be born, which was not at all unusual. There's a place for him to put in a manger, wrapped in cloths, and easy to find. Now, one other thing about cloths, we're going to wrap this up. There was a second time that a lamb was wrapped a little lamb was wrapped at birth to keep it from hurting itself. By the way, having just gone that, through that a year ago with our new little Kate, forgive my ignorance, you all knew this, but I didn't realize that today nurses and pediatrics, when a child is born, they immediately put it back in a fetal position and wrap it tightly to help the baby feel like it's still safe in the womb of the mama and it doesn't kick and fret because it feels totally secure, swaddled. So not only to keep a precious lamb calm, but there was a second time in the life of the lamb they'd swaddle or wrap that lamb. Remember I told you it had to be certified by shepherds trained by rabbis. This lamb meets the requirements to become a sacrificial lamb in the temple of God. And so before it made the trip, that last few mile trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which would be its last the shepherd, once it inspected it, would wrap it tightly in swaddling cloths to prepare it for the journey of death. Twice in the life of Jesus was he wrapped. Once in his birth, in a place of birthing of lambs, was he wrapped and placed in a manger. And when Jesus, when the angel said, this will be a sign unto you, the shepherds didn't have to ask, now where is that? They had been in there many times for the birthing of the ewe lambs to give birth to their precious little one. But what about that second wrapping? The Bible says when Jesus said it is finished and he gave up his spirit. The Bible says they took him down from the cross and he took cloths and they wrapped him. And they wrapped his head separately, John 19. And they wrapped his jaw and they wrapped his head in a piece that was separate. We know that because when Peter ran past, when John ran past, uh, Peter ran past John to get in the tomb, it says he found the burial cloths and the headpiece lying separately. The second time a lamb was wrapped was when it was time for death. The time that Jesus wrapped a second time was when death had claimed the life of the Lamb of God. Who but God could orchestrate that his lamb, his baby lamb, who would orchestrate but God that the baby lamb of God would be born in a place of lambing's birth, ceremonially pure, 
Swaddling cloths available, protected from predators on the outside, an immediate place known to the shepherds, for it's in the shepherds' fields, just a few miles from Jerusalem in the region of Bethlehem. And it was there that Jesus was born. It sure has helped me to get the troubled questions I had for many years. Why didn't God provide a place for Jesus to be born that was safe and clean and ready? Poor ignorant me, he did. Joseph would have known this place from the time he left Bethlehem. It was readily known and available place for birthing. It could well have been a place for the birth of the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Born, swaddled, and placed in a stone manger. The ceremony clean birthing room for the lambs of God who would die for temple sacrifices, the Savior of the world who would die for the sins of the world as the Lamb of God may well have been born in the birthing center for lambs who would offer their lives in Jerusalem for Orthodox Jews. Abraham offered Isaac just a few miles from there. Abraham offered Isaac just a few miles from there. When Isaac was ready to go up on the mountain, you remember what he said? Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham said the Lord will provide himself the sacrifice, and he did. He provided for Abraham, and God provided for all of us who've been saved by the precious Lamb of God, his beloved Savior, his beloved Son, and our powerful Savior, Last Sunday night when Selah was here, they sang a song that's somewhat dated now. That just means it's a few years old. used to be. That'd be centuries. But a few years ago, we sang a praise song that they sang, and I, I'm not going to quote all of it. I just want to talk about the verse that talks about Jesus. They introduced it said, this is one of the clearest testimonies of the Trinity in any song. And you remember it talks about the Savior and the Spirit and the, our Heavenly Father. I want to just read about our Father, not because I'm trying to ignore verses, but I just want to read about our Father and about the Savior. Listen to what it says. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness you find us falling before your throne. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who could have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? You're the one that we praise, Lord. You're the one we adore. You give the healing and grace that our hearts always hunger for. Oh, yes, our hearts always hunger for. Unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You're going to find that baby. May I use Nick's version? You're going to find that baby in a birthing place, wrapped in the cloths of swaddling, lying in a lamb's manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill to men. And the minute the angels disappeared, the angel said, Let's go and find that place just as the angels told us. And the last verse of Luke 2 says, And when they returned, they said, It was just as we were told. What does that mean? We found him exactly where he said in exactly the condition, he said, wrapped in cloths in a birthing place of those who would offer their life in the temple of God. The one who would offer his life in Jerusalem for the souls of all men everywhere was found in that same birthing center to allow us to be called the children of God. That put a whole new window on the Christmas for me. 
I can tell you're plumb overcome, but it just blessed the socks off me. Why? Nothing God does is by happenstance. Everything he does is by divine design. So I wonder this morning, and if Kevin's listening, I hope he'll forgive me. But I think when we hear about great Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled, we ought to just sing. He's going to be out here to improve it in a minute. But would you just play like we're carolers and you've just heard the greatest story ever told? Could we just sing, Oh, come let us adore. Stand, would you? Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come. Sing the first verse, would you? Sing it together. First verse. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come, ye, oh, come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us Pray with me, would you? As we've talked this morning about the birth of the King of Glory, the one who came once in a manger won't return that way. The one who came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes won't come that way again. He came first to time as the Prince of Peace to offer himself a ransom for many. But when he comes back, he'll come as a reigning king of glory on a white horse that, with his vestments dipped in blood and on his thighs written, the Lamb of God, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Today I invite you, if you do not know him this Christmas, come now. You are looking for a place where you can serve and honor Jesus and grow in the faith. Come be a part of this church. Come now and tell one of our pastors we want to join here. Or maybe you say, Brother Nick, I just, want, I just like to come and pray and ask God to deal with me this Christmas in a new and fresh way to make my heart tender to him. In a moment, Brother Kevin's going to lead us in a marvelous song. But can I just invite you today? Come to Jesus, would you? This Christmas, would you come to Jesus? Father, speak to us now. You're the one who provided for us. Now draw us near through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.